hello everybody welcome to episode three of the keynote podcast a podcast where i solaris sit down with up-and-coming artists in the electronic music scene and interview them and today i am joined by nick aka fowler hello i'm fowler aka nick so nick is a producer and he is a mechanic and he is from new brunswick in canada he doesn't really produce any set genre, but he is most known for having releases with Vancouver-based record label Monster Cat, which I'm sure all of you know. And he also has releases in Rocket League, and he has support from a lot of established artists in this scene, such as uh, Pixel Terror and Don Diablo. So welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. You actually caught me on a release day. Just released uh, the song Existentia on Monster Cat. So I'm coming off the high of, you know, seeing everybody enjoying my music and whatnot. So it's a good day. That's really good. So um, let's talk a little bit about Existentia then as a track. Can you kind of give us a little bit of kind of history on it and just talk a little bit about it then? Yeah, it, uh, you know, a lot of people have been wanting me to do drum and bass for, for quite a while. And uh, this isn't like a pure drum and bass track. The first drop's actually kind of like trap or like drum step. I'm also notoriously bad with genres, so I might be completely wrong about that. But it's like halftime drum and bass, whatever you want to call that. Um, so a lot of people have wanted me to do drum and bass for a long time. And honestly, I just was like never that confident in that style. But I decided to just force myself to finish a drum and bass song and i think it actually turned out pretty good so that that's kind of like production wise that's where that song came from me just trying to experiment with finishing a drum and bass track for once you know um in terms of the subject matter it's uh it's it's about my uh existential crisis that i have daily <laughs> about you know wondering if anything exists if this podcast really exists or if it's just a figment of my imagination i have no idea and there's no way i would ever know for sure um so that's kind of the you know the idea behind the song but it was really me having a lot of fun with sound design um doing some epic shit if you uh if you <laughs> download the stems there's there's a couple stems called epic shit one and epic shit two and uh and those are basically like guitar and brass and strings and just kind of it's almost like orchestral um epic stuff and uh that was a lot of fun to do too and it leads into kind of a cool sound design uh first drop and then into uh you know a drum and bass drop the second time so i finally followed through on the the drum and bass demands of the community so i i feel pretty good about that yeah so i think the drum and bass demands of the community because i've been in the monster cat community for a pretty long time uh when you started releasing in 2018 you released the song numb featuring chanel and there's that one kind of bridge section that has the little breakbeat pattern. And I just remember all these people in the community just feeling, oh, Fowler, make actual drum and bass. Make it yeah. drum and bass track. Yeah. So I finally, I finally, well, I guess I didn't quite fully follow through because I mean, like I said, it starts off uh, with the halftime drum and bass. And I was actually kind of like, I was thinking like, imagine how mad people would be if I teased them again and didn't give them like a full drum and bass drop. Um, but <laughs> Luckily, I did because I don't know if I would have survived that. Um, so yeah, it's it feels good though to to do drum and bass. I mean, I love listening to drum and bass. I just for some reason, I, it's not even like I I think I could do it. And I mean, I guess I kind of proved to myself that I can do it, but it just doesn't come as naturally as other styles of music do to me. So it was it was a bit of a challenge. 
but I we all know you love to just experiment with a lot of different genres, and that's been really prevalent in the past couple of years since you've really kind of made a name for yourself, especially with the fact since Monster Cat has been picked has picked you up over the past couple of years, and you've just been kind of flourishing a lot. I feel. Yeah, I mean, I definitely you know Monster Cat was a big turning point for me in my artist career. I've uh, I've had a career in writing for TV for about a decade now, and I've that's all I've done for a living for the past nine nine and a half years, give or take. And uh, I you know I I never really had a whole lot of success in terms of uh, numbers, you know, or like reach, you know, like plays and streams and all the kind of metrics that people use to measure their own success. I, uh, my solo stuff was really me just having fun and not really caring about those things. So now that I'm actually starting to get some decent metrics and, and starting to generate a bit of income from it as well, that that's really exciting for me because I still, I don't have to compromise anything. I'm still just doing whatever the hell I want. It might be totally off the wall, might be, you know, maybe drum and bass one minute and then an ambient track the next. I like to think that my fans are fans of me and not necessarily just a specific style that I, I create. And that's why it kind of like, I might not have the biggest fan base in the world, but I, I love my fans cause they, they're like my friends and they they'll support pretty much everything I do. They may or may not like the tracks, all the tracks, and that's perfectly fine. But, uh, but I don't feel like the need to just keep making numb over and over again, you know, that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. monster cat's been really great for that. Yeah, so that's really awesome to see, especially since you're very active in the community as well. Yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't be, you know, like, like there's a bunch of a bunch of people that all kind of have very similar, you know, likes and passions and stuff. And uh, they're all I mean, I, I love internet humor. I love memes and, you know, making weird. Anybody who knows me knows that, you know, I don't think I usually ever take normal pictures. They're always cursed in some way or another. So, <laughs> it, and, and like the internet is the, you know, the, the, this kind of community on the internet, that's, that's really where those things flourish. So I just feel at home and it's like, I can just hop onto the monster cat server or my discord server and just post like the most random weirdest shit and people enjoy it and I enjoy it. So it's like a win-win, right? Yeah, I, I guess so. So how about we get into just a little bit of your history? I just kind of want to know, how did the whole kind of music thing kind of start for you? Was it was music something that you were like always interested in? Was there something that really kind of made you say like, whoa, that's really cool. I want to do that. Like, how did music start for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've definitely uh, told this story quite a few times because it's it's basically how things have started or did start for me. Um, I, I never, you know, I came from a family that's not super musical. My sister played flute in, uh, in like, a an orchestral band and, uh, she did really well at that and whatnot. But in terms of like my parents or the rest of my family, there's, there's some musicians, but it's not like, you know, some people just come from a long line of musicians. That definitely isn't me. And the music stuff never really came natural to me. I always had to work really hard at it to, uh, to do what I wanted to. And when I was in middle school, uh, I think I was like 13 years old. I got, uh, I bought my, my first electric guitar off of my cousin for like 300 bucks or something. He gave me a smoking deal. Cause it's like a wicked guitar. Um, it's a 88 Fender Strat heavy metal edition. Mm. It's like aquamarine. And anyway, uh, as a guitar I player, I love fenders. So yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and I was born in 1988, and this this uh, guitar was made in 1988. So you know, it's just like the universe telling me to play guitar or whatever. But anyway, um, I started playing in like rock bands and metal bands. And I mean, I'm using the word band very loosely. When I was 13, we weren't exactly touring, you know, the Southwest or anything like that. We, uh, we just were kind of jamming and kind of playing around. And just the fact that we could plug our guitars into something and make them super loud. And, you know, I, I live out in the middle of nowhere or I, I live in the city now, but I grew up in the middle of nowhere. So sometimes we just like put our amps outside and crank them up full blast and you like hear the sound of your guitar echoing off of literally a mountain like five miles away that was <laughs> that was cool anyway that uh that kind of got me into making music um and i kept going down that path again i wasn't naturally good at it some people could just you know even even at that age some of my friends could just pick up a guitar and just rip out a big solo like it was nothing and I wasn't really good at improvising. I had to really plan it out note for note and practice and practice and practice. And it didn't really, it wasn't easy, but I kept at it. And eventually in high school in 2004, I, uh, I kind of got tired of relying on other people to make music. You know, when you're in a band, sometimes there's four or five people that you have to rely on showing up to practice to play with. So so my dad got me a copy of Sonar 4, uh, which is a cakewalk pro uh, product. And uh, I started to record music by myself. I started to like record my guitar. And at first I was just trying to make the same stuff as I was playing in the band, which was was metal and hard rock and stuff like that. And I actually played in a Regents Machine cover band at the time. Um, so I uh, I started to use the computer just as a means of creating music but having a you know basically a drummer because i can play the i had a bass and i could play bass and guitar i just needed the drums and i didn't even care about vocals at that time i just wanted to learn how to record and stuff like that so i started doing doing metal and then i and then there's like a very very discreet point in time where i kind of discovered idm like glitchy intelligent dance music stuff and it was by just turning the tempo up to like 999 or whatever cakewalk uh, the sonar product to let you go up to i think it was 999 and it just played like the worst sound i'd ever heard and i loved it um and then <laughs> that was kind of the basis i was like oh wow and i had never heard any music like that you know like electronic music to me was like sandstorm which no word of a lie was our graduation song when I graduated high, high school. And it was in a non-ironic way. I mean, this was before Sandstorm was like a joke. This was like Sandstorm in its peak. So that was our, our graduation song. Anyway, that's what I thought electronic music was. And like Benny Benassi and stuff. I didn't know there was this whole kind of other side of it and all the weird underground kind of glitchy stuff. Um, so I thought I was like, I thought I was pioneering something. I was like, oh my God, I was like sampling... Uh, keyboard like the sound of typing on a keyboard and i sampled my parents water pump from like down in the basement and making all these weird just the weirdest noise i could come up with but then like putting chords over top of them and calling it music um and i really thought i was like i'm like i am creating new genres and then i uh, was in london ontario and i walked into a pawn shop and for some reason i saw the richard d james album on a cd like aphex twin and um for some reason I felt compelled to buy it. I just, that's what I did too. I'd like go into pawn shops and just buy CDs. I'd never heard of it, uh, heard of. And that's kind of how I discovered new, new music back then. Um, so I bought the Aphex Twins album, Richard D. James. And then I heard that and I was like, okay, I'm not creating anything. This is, this already exists. 
Um, and then, but I wasn't upset about that. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I got obsessed with like Richard D. James and Autecker and um, Boards of Canada and, and these types of weirder kind of electronic music. And, and that really, that, I guess that's a very long winded way of saying I played guitar. I didn't have anybody to play guitar with. So I used my computer. I made weird sounds with my computer and I discovered IDM. And then that led me to where I'm at now. So, yeah, so with that, because, like, I've talked to a lot of people, the people who I've talked to on this podcast before uh, are younger, at, like, probably around my age, and so haven't really kind of grown up with a lot of, like, that older stuff, like a lot of the IDM stuff that you're talking about right there, because they all kind of grew up with, like, Skrillex and, like, even, like, the older days of Monster Cat when artists like Tristam and Noise Storm were popular. So it's kind of really cool to see somebody come from a kind of a different side the whole electronic music scene yeah i mean when i it's funny because when i released how we win or no not how we win uh numb when i released numb uh my first release on monster cat i was aware of monster cat's existence and i like i always i pitched to monster cat numerous times and i didn't get you know i, I didn't land anything until numb but i didn't realize that monster cat was really who they are until i released on them and i'm like oh my god this community is huge and the fan base is so active and whatnot so yeah i really i really came from a different place <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> so um you did mention earlier that you uh, used to compose for like films and tv shows i just kind of want to know what was that like for you then oh i still do that's still how i pay my my bills and that's still i mean if i didn't do that i'd honestly probably release more fowler stuff because I'm, you know, if anybody who's on my Discord server, like, I'm always in FL Studio, like, all the time. I'm either that or working in the garage, but... Um, right now of, you are. I can see it on Discord. <laughs> am I? Yeah, I still have it open, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm always writing because that's how I pay my bills. I'm always writing for TV or, or whatnot. And it's, it's great and it's really cool to, you know, get your music on TV shows and seeing it being used in this very widespread manner you know reaching millions of people and knowing at this point i've got so many songs out there that there's i could probably turn on the tv and flick to a channel and probably find one of my songs on something because i've done so many tracks for like libraries and stuff like that that's cool but at the end of the day you are you're kind of supporting somebody else's creative vision with what you're writing. You're, you're writing music to support the visuals that are happening on screen, which is good and satisfying and cool and, and all that good stuff. But at the, at the end of the day, I created the Fowler project just for an outlet where I don't have to worry about worry. I don't have to worry about anybody else's creative vision except myself. And that was the whole point of it. And that's also why I called it Fowler, because that's just my last name. And, and that's all it was about, just doing what I want to do. Don't care if it's a 12-minute ambient song and nobody likes it. Like, I, it's, it's just there for me. Um, but I will say that writing for TV, is, it's super fun. It's, it's challenging a lot of the times because I, uh, I have to do styles that I honestly sometimes don't have any idea how to make it. I have to like listen to the reference material and be like, oh, okay, I guess I'm... Guess I'm making this style now, you know, but that's kind of the nature of the, the work is that people come to me because they know that I can, if they send me a reference track, I can create within reason, I can do a pretty good job of recreating that style in a very short amount of time. So that's, a, that's kind of my like selling feature for the people that I work with. They know they can count on me. And if I can't do it, I'll just tell them straight up like, Hey, this, I've 
I'm not the guy for this one, you know? Um, but yeah, TV is fun. Pays a lot no. more than streams on Spotify too, I will say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, because like you said, it, it, that's what pays the bills for you. Exactly, yeah. And even also, so with your Monster Cat releases and Monster Cat, who's had this partnership with Psyonix and Rocket League over the past couple of years, and you've had a couple different tracks that have been featured in Rocket League. So how does that feel? Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, I really love on Rocket League how when they feature a new song, it's like the menu music. So it's really cool to like open up Rocket League. I absolutely suck at Rocket League. Like I am so Oh, so bad. do I. You're 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 not yeah. alone here. Yeah, the best thing I can do for my team is kind of just like park on the side of the field and watch them. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh but anyway, it's still really cool to open up the the uh the game and hear your music and think, "Man, how many other people are opening up this game right now?" You know, and how many other people It's just it's really cool cuz it makes you feel like connected to a huge amount of people, which you don't really get the chance to do in a, pretty much any other aspect of life, unless you're creating content that is getting consumed by like thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Like that's that's a cool feeling. It, sometimes I do take it for granted because I've been I've been kind of exposed to it for years and years. But uh, there is something cool about getting a track on Rocket League and open the opening the game up and having it played during the menu. That's a that's definitely a cool feeling. And so what is it that how does your creative process kind of vary from, you know, composing for TV shows like compared to, you know, making electronic music? Is there anything that kind of carries over like between what you do for TV shows and what you do for electronic music and also vice versa? Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of the creative juices are flowing in a similar way, but I think with TV there's an end in mind uh a lot more than what i'm doing when i'm creating for myself which is another reason why i can finish tv stuff <laughs> a lot easier than my own stuff um for tv you know okay i got a deadline i've got this 30 second commercial they want this they want it to hit this sort of feeling at this point in time like there's it's structured and there's it's kind of an infrastructure there already that you just got to fill in with your creativity as opposed to like super open-ended like okay i'm gonna write fowler stuff today i sit down and fl studios open and there's nothing there i'm like okay here i go you know like it's very it's usually very experimental and and sometimes i do have like oh man i get inspired by hearing something or something inspires me and i have something in mind for like the end goal but a lot of the time it's really just me opening up fl studio and i just start messing around with sounds and uh sometimes i don't even have a genre or a style in mind i'm just like oh i wonder what happens if i you know i take the sound of a tambourine i stretch it out to three minutes long and then you know send it through this convolution reverb and then put it through pulse stretch and then shorten it back down and you know, send it through distortion like it, it's just me and then a lot of the time like even lyrics like for how we win the lyrics came from me messing around with something and it wasn't even a vocal but it sounded like this is how we rock and i was like oh okay you know like it was like a sound of like a percussion hit that i stretched way out and sent through a bunch of effects and then all of a sudden it it sounded kind of like it was saying this is how we rock and i was like okay i'm gonna go from there so it's very experimental and very much just me messing around having fun and and I always want to keep my father stuff that to be that, which is maybe a little unpredictable, maybe a little not as strategic as getting, um, you know, like I have a brand for sure, but sonically or style wise, I feel like I could do just about any style of music. And 
that may or may not be the most strategic thing in the world. But at the end of the day, this project is just for me to mess around. And that's exactly how I do my stuff. So, And is that what you, I guess, kind of enjoy about just being an artist and just kind of the Fowler project in general is that it's basically your thing. It's more just kind of like passion then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, there's a lot of reasons um, for making music. Um, and some of them are good reasons and some of them are bad reasons. And honestly, I have a hard time finding new music because I, when I listen to music and I have this problem when I watch TV shows too, I, I kind of see through almost to a fault. I see through the actual content to the creator and what they're intending or trying to do. Like, for example, uh, in like a TV show, uh, what is it? And my girlfriend and I watched it just for giggles, but it was really bad. It's like, uh, love is blind or something I think it's called. And, uh, anyway, they would be like, they'd show, say a couple get into a fight and then the, the girl walks off and then the music would come on and the music would be like, I'm so mad at you, but I hope you'll get over it. Or, you know, like the lyrics are like so on the nose and just like trying to coach me through the scene. And I'm, I, all of a sudden I'm kicked out of even the the show whatsoever and all i'm thinking of is wow they really needed they felt like they needed to tell me how to feel about this so like when i listen to to new music uh all i uh, all i hear sometimes is the intent like oh somebody will make a track and maybe it just sounds like they thought that like a skrillex track was cool and they just are trying to replicate it so that people think that they're cool you know what i mean and and when i hear that it just kicks me right out so to get back to your original question, I think I might have forgotten it by now. Um, my Fowler stuff is just the intention is only to be creative and to not worry about success and to not worry about what people think about this. You know, oh, do I have to put a snare roll before the drop? You know, it, you know, I, it's just what I want to do. And that's it. And if you like it, that's great. And if you don't like it, that doesn't bother me at all. Like, it's not really for you. It's for me. And that's it. And and if people like it, that's awesome. And I love it when people do like it because then I feel like I'm connected to a bigger picture sort of thing, right? All right. So let's transition into another topic. I actually mentioned when I opened this podcast that you're also a mechanic. So that's another discipline that you're kind of creative in. And that's just being just very technical. You like to do a lot of technical things. And one of the things that you like to do is building cars and you also like to race them as well. Would you like to kind of talk a little bit more about kind of the whole car thing and how that kind of started for you then? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, I'm like not officially a mechanic. I don't have any sort of schooling or any sort of uh, education. It's all just self-taught stuff. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's it's It all ties together. You know, I like electronic music because it's intricate and it's technical and there's pieces that have to all work together. and. Uh, my brain enjoys understanding things or being challenged to understand things. So my love for electronic music or creating music is the same uh, as my love for creating cars or fixing cars, diagnosing cars. I just, I love to figure things out. Um, so I, I haven't always been a car person. And again, I didn't, I, my family isn't really into cars. Like I'm kind of a first generation musician and a first generation car person in my family. <laughs> my family is super interesting and awesome. I don't mean to paint them like that, but they, they're into entrepreneurship and stuff like that. So I do come by that a little bit more naturally. But, uh, but anyway, I, I got my start in cars with my first car, which was a 99 Hyundai Tiburon. And, uh, I was driving home one day and the timing belt broke 
And up until that point, I was even nervous to do an oil change because I thought I'd break something. Um, but all of a sudden, now I have a car with uh, a busted engine because when the time belt breaks, you bend valves and it's basically, you got to replace stuff. So I found a, I found an engine for like 200 bucks or something. And uh, I thought, well, you know what? I don't have anything to lose. I can't afford to pay somebody to put this engine in. So I'm just going to like start taking the engine out, I guess. And if it goes well, then that's great. And if not, then I'm no further behind because the car's not going anywhere with this engine in it anyway. So, um, so yeah, I went from like not even wanting to do an oil change to doing an engine swap on my Tiburon. And when I did that, I realized that it's very intimidating, but it's not very difficult. Like it's, it's just nuts and bolts. And I don't mean to undersell like mechanics by saying that, but like at the same time, it really is just nuts and bolts holding this stuff together. And there's a bit more to it than that, but that's 99% of it. So I successfully swapped the engine over and that gave me a lot of confidence to be like, well, I mean, if I change the engine, I probably could change the brakes. I mean, they can't be any harder than doing the engine, right? Um, so yeah, that, that was my start into playing with cars and then there's a lot of gratification uh and satisfaction that i get from spending hours underneath a car really suffering cutting my fingers all apart you know getting huge bruises everywhere i actually kind of enjoy that in a weird way because it's like an investment and then i get to go in my car and now it either works where it didn't work before maybe it's considerably faster or i get better times at the races or something like that it's all very satisfying because i know that i busted my ass to to get this mechanical object to the point where it's at and now i get to kind of reap the benefits of it um so that that's kind of why i love working on cars so much and the whole talon thing with my artwork that just happened totally organically that wasn't like a it wasn't like a conscious decision. It was, I wrote the song, How We Win. And I was like, well, I guess it kind of makes sense to have like a car going across the finish line, right? And then, um, what did I write after that? Was it, uh, not oh, anyway, I think. Um, I put the headlights in the back and then I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. And it's super organic. It's super honest because I spend just as much time on cars as I do on music. In fact, the past few months, I've probably spent more time on cars, which is kind of bad because cars cost me money and music makes me money. Uh, but anyway, it, it just kind of all made sense. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess my branding is now my car. And then like my Discord server, there's like Talon memes and Talon emojis. And it just all kind of makes sense. And it's easy because it's natural. I don't have to try. It just post pictures of my car, post videos of me racing. It's just all kind of, it's just me. And, and that's why when I say I have like really good fans, they're a fan of me as a person and what I do, not just like that one track that I made that has millions of plays or something like that. And that's what I strive for is having that real connection with my fan base. And so, yeah, let's kind of bounce off of that and kind of go into a little bit more about, you know, the talent. Uh, you kind of want to talk a little bit more about the talent as a car and kind of the whole story about how you can how that kind of came in your life then yeah i i bought the talon for i think 700 dollars in 2012 i think may may of 2012 um i bought it from a place called bucktouche which sounds like somebody making fun of like uh like a place that's in the middle of nowhere um, and it kind of is, but it's a nice little town. Anyway, uh, 
I bought it. I had it trailered back because it, uh, I think the water pump was seized and the alternator was gone on it. It was, I mean, it was a $700 car, but it was all wheel drive and turbocharged and wasn't rusty. So to me, I was like, ooh, this is a good platform. Um, so one of my first mods after getting it like road worthy and road legal and all that stuff, one of my first mods was just putting an ECU into it so I could play with the tuning because that's super technical and techy. And I wanted, I always wondered what tuning a car meant. You know, some people consider tuning a car, like putting a set of wheels on it, but I'm talking about getting into the ECU and controlling the fueling and the, the spark timing and stuff like that. Um, so I put that in it and then every year since 2012, except last year, because I built the Pulsar last winter, uh, pretty much every single year I've had the Talon in the garage, totally like stripped down to basically nothing because I'm either putting, uh, you know, redoing the suspension in the chassis or, or putting a new engine into it or changing the turbo setup or trying a new clutch. Like I, every year it kind of gets built a little bit differently based on what I've learned from the previous year racing it. Um, so that, I mean, the car is kind of like, it's approaching legendary status and it, 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 which I'm, I'm totally okay with. And anybody who owns an old Eagle Talon is probably totally okay with that too. I'd love to, I'm not saying I'm there yet, but I'd love to get like my music to a place where the Talon becomes so powerful that we can get it in rocket league like that's my ultimate life goal is to get the mm -hmm. talent in rocket league and then i'd actually have to like get good at playing rocket league because i wouldn't want to let the talent down you know <laughs> you'd have to maybe just become like a streamer or something yeah i've become a full-time rocket league player I don't even make music anymore because like i'm done like that was my final goal all right guys i'm, <laughs> I'm done i'm retiring the, the talent's in rocket league here we go <laughs> Your life is complete. The music thing is complete. Fowler's over. <laughs> yeah, delete everything. <laughs> just cancel everything and, and just become a Rocket League player. So I think I'm kind of uh, coming towards, you know, some of the ends of my questions here. So I think I have a couple just kind of fun questions for you. Sure. Um, so I guess one of the questions is like, how difficult has it been to just kind of really, I guess, kind of stand out as an artist before, I guess, kind of like when you started out, how hard was it for you to be able to kind of like stand out to how things are now? Um, I guess what I'd have to say on that is I never really had that challenge because if you think about what I said about the purpose of my project, it was all just for me to be me. So nobody else is me. So it's just me. And I wasn't trying to create whatever styles were hot at the time to be successful. So just kind of naturally, I think I stick out because I'm not trying to do what everybody else is doing. I'm just trying to have fun and do me. Um, and that has led me to a very slow growth. I mean, I've been at this for a long time. And I think that's something that a lot of newer producers maybe have a hard time with is like, this is not something that you do for a year and all of a sudden you've got a million fans, right? Sometimes you get a song on TikTok, all of a sudden your song has a million fans. All of a sudden that, you know, that beat that you made, everybody knows it, but are they a fan of you? Have you taken the time to grow your brand and your community and offer your fans something that only you can offer them? maybe not necessarily so that to me it's much better to have a slow organic growth where you really earn every one of your fans like almost individually um whether you know the real names or not i 
I can look on my Discord list and look at pretty much anybody in my Discord chat or Discord kind of channel where it lists the users. If I scroll down, not all of them, but I would say probably like 75% of them, I can look at one of them and be like, oh, I remember that time that that person did that thing on my server. You know, like, like I try to earn my fans. I don't try to just take shortcuts to get huge amounts of plays because that's not the goal for me. The goal for me is to have a sustainable fan base that is a part of something. You know, they are part of something. I'm part of something. There's this something. So to me, sticking out is as easy as just being yourself and not trying to replicate what's popular, not trying to replicate that drop that everybody loves in that song. Cause it's so transparently obvious, at least to me, when people do that, you know, you, this big song blows up like the, uh, Chris Lake, um, lose my mind or whatever and then all of a sudden you hear uh, i think that's what it's called then all of a sudden you hear all these other producers creating the exact same track and you're like okay i see what you're doing or like a meme comes out and then a bunch of people are like making meme songs out of the memes i to me that's how you don't stick out you know that you're using cymatics pre-made wubs and your whole song is just made out of those that's not how you're sticking out. That's how you're trying to make a song that is as good as something else that you heard. And and that's what I, I don't do that. I'm just like, hey, I'm going to do this thing that I like. And if you like it, that's awesome. And if you like me, that's even better. But if not, then that's okay. Maybe next time, you know? Yeah. And so another, a couple other questions I have for you. Is there like something that you kind of wish you had known, like when you started producing then? Um... I wish that I had known this isn't necessarily a technical thing, but one of the most important things that I've learned over the years, I think, is that you should value the relationships over the money. Um, and that makes financial sense as well. Like it, it to me, I've, I've, you know, in my early years, I've nickel and dime people. I've, fought over five percent of a writer's share of a song that might have earned a hundred bucks you know like like it's not worth i just basically split everything 50 50 and that's honestly more generous than i probably should do considering the fact that i'm doing all of the production i'm doing the mixing the mastering everything usually you would keep the master uh, like you'd keep ownership of the master or you'd buy out the vocalist performance for a certain amount of money and now you own the whole master i just split everything 50 50 because to me the difference of me owning 100% of the master versus 50% of the master might equate to like a few hundred bucks or something. And and I'd rather just have a nice relationship where everybody feels like they're being treated properly and we work more together in the future. And that's a more prosperous style of relationship than trying to nickel and dime like, hey, I think I, I deserve 60% because I did this and this and this. You know, like I've done that in the past and all that's done is make me not feel good and make the other person not feel good and then maybe we don't work together in the future so i just i've just 50 50 whatever you come on as long as you're taking part in the writing of the song it's a 50 50 or 33 33 33 sort of thing right and that to me i think that's the most important thing i've learned in this industry is that the relationship is far more important than any one paycheck that you might get out of it and is that kind of how you have your a lot of relationships with a lot of the people you collaborate with then yeah, hundred percent. It's it's uh, and that's also like why I find it hard to collaborate with people I don't know. You know, like the whole collab bro thing. It's just uh, 
it's weird. Which I mean, me. it's just become kind of a meme at this point. The whole kind of hey mm. collab, bro, you love your music, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm just like, why would that make any sense? I don't even know you. Like writing a song should be uh, and kind of an intimate process. I love writing music with people and talking about you know your feelings and talking about your experiences and stuff like that. That's part of songwriting, at least kind of like in the traditional sense. And I, I guess maybe that's I'm a little more traditional than some people, but. Um, yeah, it just, it, I need to know you. I like collaborating with my friends or like, you know, it, it's almost like a dating thing, you know? It's almost like a one night stand versus like a, somebody you've built up a relationship with. Um, and that's why I find it hard to collaborate with, with just kind of randos from the internet sort of thing. Yeah, so would you say that kind of, I guess the internet has kind of made it harder then than it was like, well, because like back in your back in the day, as you talk back about, in your day, uh, back in uh, your day, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, just like before, I guess, kind of the whole kind of Fowler thing and when you kind of had all that band stuff, because like that was in school and mm -hmm. like you knew people from school who you could just you could. Yeah, you had like people in school who you could hang out with and like do yeah. music with. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also, I mean, like that still continues today. I have done some online writers camps through COVID. I usually do um, in-person writers camps where they fly you to like a studio and then you get to write with a bunch of people you don't even know. But then by the end of like the week, you're all best friends sort of thing. Like that's that's really fun. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like I, I just when somebody creates like a like half of a song and then sends it to you and says collab, bro, like it's just hard for me because I'm like, what are we even, what are we trying to accomplish? And honestly, um, the collab with, uh, with slow palace, um, it started. Yeah. It started yeah. out like that and we couldn't get any traction until I got on a, like a couple calls with them and discussed like, what's the idea of the song? What? And we got Quinn involved and we started, we started to write a song as opposed to just like, here's like a cool track. Can you finish it? You know, that sort of thing. Um, and and that song it, it is a great song it just took it, it took the actual writing process i don't think i could ever just take like a song that somebody else has kind of half created and put in the other half because to me that's a that's a almost like a foreign it's kind of weird you know like i don't know we're both working on this thing but we don't know each other we haven't really talked about it like, to me it's just it's just hard, difficult some people can do it and that's great but i'm just not one of those people yeah so then that kind of leads me to this question. Are there any people who you would love to collab with that you don't necessarily like know personally? Uh, I don't know. I mean, not really. I mean, there's people that I listen to and, and I love their music and, and from a technical point of view, yeah, I'd love to c collaborate with some of those people, but I actually wouldn't collaborate with them unless I knew them first because it just would be weird to me. So I guess that's kind of a boring answer. There's there's lots of people who I love their music and love their style and like like uh, Fool or uh, who else? Tony Romero. Like I love those th their tracks. I love their tracks, right? I don't know them personally, so I don't know what it would be like to write a track with them. Um, but yeah, it, I understand the question. I mean, I get it all the time. And my favorite band is Nine Inch Nails, but I, I don't think that I would ever collaborate with them because that it just would feel like weird or forced unless I like by chance ran into them at a festival and like got to know them. And we and there was a bit of a 
pre-existing relationship there then it would make sense but just kind of coming out of nowhere and being like hey do you want to do you want to write a song with me like that's just it just <laughs> seems strange to me all right so um another question is uh do you just have any advice for you know producers who might be listening to this and you want who want to or are currently trying to break further into kind of the music kind of field have any advice for them yeah i think my biggest piece of advice besides the whole value of the relationships over the money thing, that's definitely a, a big one. My next big one that would refer more to like the production side of things is don't try to follow trends because if you are following a trend, you are by definition behind the trend, right? Like don't listen to it's just, it's okay to get inspired. It's okay to listen to tracks and be and and I do it too. You listen to a track and you're like, oh man, I wanna I wanna do something like that. And that's totally okay. As long as you are expressing yourself and not doing it for the wrong reason, because at the end of the day, even people who have no musical knowledge, they can kind of hear through that to the actual intent of the song. And if your intent is just to be, you know, to get a song on a certain platform or to hit a certain amount of plays, that's not really being creative. That's kind of almost being manipulative, like in a very mild form. So just, just do you. You know, it's okay to be inspired. It's okay to borrow ideas from people and incorporate it into your own sound, as long as it's your sound and you are portraying yourself and you're adding something creatively to the world. Um, so that's my, I think, piece of advice I'd give them. Well, that's some really good advice. And I think that will really be helpful to like pretty much everybody who's listening to this podcast. And I'm, I'm really happy that I heard something like that today. Yeah, and I, I just... Also, just really appreciate, you know, you coming on the show today. No problem, man. It's been a pleasure to, to chat. I usually sit in the studio by myself for hours at a time. So here I am talking. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, that kind of wraps up this interview then. Um, I'm Solaris. This is the Keynote Podcast. This is also Nick, a.k.a. Fowler. And if you are watching via YouTube or listening via any streaming service just be sure to give me a follow or you know subscribe to the youtube channel uh and thanks for stopping by thank you